This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Data protection law and the reach of an authority like the ICO extends well beyond brick and mortar office premises. Data crimes are real crime. Over the past year, there's little doubt that the biggest global privacy story has been the scandal involving Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. The case has huge implications for privacy and democracy, sparking investigations around the world. The United Kingdom has been ground zero for the issue, home to the largest investigations, fines to date, and hearings, including the Grand Committee that brought together elected representatives from nine countries and which will next be held in Ottawa in May. Interestingly, it's a Canadian that leads the UK investigation. Elizabeth Denham, former Assistant Federal Privacy Commissioner of Canada and British Columbia Information and Privacy Commissioner, was appointed as the UK's Information Commissioner in 2016. In that capacity, she's responsible for more than a dozen statutes and has added more personnel in the past two years than the total staff of Canada's Federal Privacy Commissioner's Office. Indeed, with more than 700 personnel and investigative powers that are unheard of by Canadian standards, Commissioner Denham has emerged as the world's leading privacy regulator. For the past year, she's used those powers to take on the world's leading internet companies. Commissioner Denham was recently in Ottawa to deliver the 12th annual Deary Martin Memorial Lecture on Privacy at the University of Ottawa. She was kind enough to sit down to talk about her Canadian experience, the UK investigation, and her thoughts on the future of privacy regulation and enforcement. It is a pleasure to welcome UK Information Commissioner Elizabeth Denham. Um, and really an honor to get to start this podcast series with you. And it's been, I think, an amazing year for you. I mean, if you think of Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, which has propelled you and your office, not just to become a household name from a privacy perspective, but now really a household name in many ways, given the attention that's gotten. I know you were appointed the command, a commander of the Order of the British Empire this year, chair of the International Conference and Data Protection and Privacy Commissioners. I mean, really, it's been an, an amazing number of months. And I want to get to all that. But I thought we'd start, that I'd start, we're here in Canada. And so I thought maybe if we could go back a little bit and start with your career and privacy leadership in Canada at the federal and provincial levels, and maybe talk a bit about that career path and how it put you in a position to kind of do what you're doing now. Great and delighted to be here and speak to you today on this sunny Ottawa day. It's a very crisp day, Michael. It's probably about 40 degrees difference between London and, and Ottawa today, but pleased to be here. So it's great to have you here. So, so you, you obviously spent time both at the Federal Commissioner's Office as well as the Commissioner of British Columbia. You know, tell me a bit about those roles, the kinds of cases that you saw and what that experience, the kinds of experiences that you had there that now sort of put you in the position that you are today. I feel really fortunate to have had the opportunity to work both federally as Assistant Privacy Commissioner of Canada, but also as the Information and Privacy Commissioner of British Columbia. And I think those two positions 
set me up very well um, and allowed me to really practice my passion, which is information rights. And that goes back a very long time. I think Canadians are very well respected in the world of data protection and privacy and information rights. And 2018 was probably the year that data protection went mainstream, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. But if I take my career back in time to what some might have thought of as a sleepy area of law, it certainly has emerged as a major focus of citizens, of parliamentarians, of academics, because of the change in technology, the development of the internet, big data, and now artificial intelligence. So you can see that the regulation in these areas has really advanced in the last 15 years. And I'm just really fortunate to have been leading these offices at this time. Sure. I mean, speaking of technology back in those days of the offices, there's, there's a couple of cases that certainly come to mind back when you were here in Canada. And the first, unsurprisingly, is the Facebook case. The most important thing is the huge number of applications that are on Facebook, things like quizzes, horoscopes. People love them, um, but behind them, there's almost, I think, a million developers worldwide. They have access then to all the users' personal information yes, that are on their sites. The case was brought to the Privacy Commission by Ottawa University Law School's Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic. I think it was one of the first major complaints, and you played obviously a really prominent role in that case. And thinking back on it, it's almost a decade now since that first Facebook case. What's changed? Right. I mean, well, there's there's what's changed and what hasn't changed. Right. But SIPIC um, indeed brought um, the perfect kind of complaint to the Office of the Privacy Commissioner because it allowed us to really get under the bonnet, as they would say in the UK, under the hood, behind the curtain of the way social media platforms were working at that time. And 10 years ago, when the Office of the Privacy Commissioner issued um, its 113-page report of findings, um, most people had never really thought about what an app was and what an app marketplace was and how much personal data was shared with third-party applications. So really, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada was the first regulator globally to unpack the way that social media advertising model, how that worked. Um, so we find ourselves 10 years later in a case that I'm examining in the United Kingdom um, with the use of very sophisticated behavioral targeting methods to um, and psychometrics to profile voters and to persuade and, and nudge voters to certain political outcomes. And that's, um, that's a, a massive concern for, for parliament, for democracies, for democratic processes. But I really cut my teeth in Ottawa in looking at the way that Facebook worked back then. Facebook's evolved, obviously, and instead of having a mere 300 million users, as they had in, in Ottawa back in the day, there's now 2 billion users worldwide. 
we are still, um, regulators everywhere, concerned about the misuse of personal data and, and transparency. So those are the things that I think are the same. So, so though the concerns haven't changed much, the company's obviously far bigger. Do you feel that the laws kept pace to be able to handle the what's obviously a bigger challenge, certainly something, uh, a company and a service that's affecting far more people than it did even 10 years ago when it seemed huge even at that time? It did seem huge 10 years ago. Um, it is a, it, it plays Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snap, all of these companies play a very big role in people's lives, um, in the digital economy. The laws in Europe, because they've just been refreshed and reformed, the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, gives regulators more powers. It was actually, the law was created to deal with profiling and personalization online. Unfortunately, Canadian law has not kept pace with the kind of reforms that we're seeing around the world. So certainly the, the Privacy Commissioner, Daniel Terria, has called for reform of the Canadian law. Says he wants that to change, but also he wants a, a major overhaul of Canada's privacy laws to make them stronger. He realizes that might not happen in the short term, or, but he is looking for those changes on the whole. Uh, the ideal would be comprehensive, but comprehensive may be too late. I know um, academics have and parliamentarians have as well, but the law needs to keep up with the technology. And it's really important that regulators can take action um, to protect people, especially online. Mm -hmm. So that actually, that's interesting. That raises uh, the question of, with the law having failed to keep pace, I remember 10 years ago, one of the questions was, could a Canadian privacy commissioner really influence a large Silicon Valley-based social media company with, I think at that time, 250 million or 300 million users? Um, if put today, do you think Canadian commissioners, Canadian law is up to the challenge to be able to do the kinds of things that, that you're doing now aided by these new European rules, the GDPR? I think it's very challenging for um, a commissioner without order making power, without enforcement power, to really force the companies to change. And there is a tension a, dy a dynamic between the business models of some of these large Silicon Valley tech companies and the protection for individuals online. So I think the European law has been reformed to deal with these issues, but it's very difficult for a Canadian regulator to, to really pave the path or change the practice of a large social media company. So I think the weather is going to be made in Europe. And I think the wagons are circling around some of these technology companies and they are going to have to change. But it's large fines and um, orders to stop processing types of personal data. I think that's going to force the force their hands. Right. So it's the enforcement in many ways more than anything that, that can spur the sorts of change that, that you're thinking about for some of these larger companies. I think Canadian law has been very effective in terms of um, what some call naming and shaming, revealing what's actually happening with people's personal data to focus the minds of, of companies. Um, but it's really more of a, a moral suasion, a moral persuasion, as opposed to a harder edge enforcement approach. 
I think these companies are, are too big for that now. And um, so certainly when I gave evidence before Parliament last year, um, my recommendation, again, like the current Privacy Commissioner of Canada's, like the Ethics Committee of Parliament, is to reform the laws to keep up. And that's what we see happening around the world, not just in Europe. Right. So Canada really failing to keep pace with the kind of laws that, that are capable of grappling with the challenges of today. You know, one of the other, the other technology-related case that also comes to mind was the Google Buzz case. Google announced Google Buzz today, a product described as a new way to share and communicate via Gmail. The new product will allow users to share a profile, photos, video, status updates, and other media publicly or privately. The new networking tool will allow the search engine to compete with social networking sites such as Facebook, Twitter, Flickr, and others. For people that don't remember, Google Buzz was this attempt by Google to, to jump into the social media space and seeking to leverage many of its Gmail users um, to become, by default, effectively part of that system. And my recollection is that one of the approaches that, that Canada took alongside many others was to try to bring together the privacy and data commissioner community, that in a sense you'd be far stronger as a collective whole as opposed to individually. Uh, do you feel that we, we see that, are we still seeing that today, especially in an environment where there are differences in the kinds of powers that different offices have? There are differences in the, the kind of powers, but the Google Buzz case was, was you're right, Michael, that was the first time that European data protection supervisors and authorities, as well as Canadian um, authorities got together and made the case that this was not a transparent or fair uh, rollout of a service. And it almost seemed like Google may have been beta testing that kind of a service. But the way we need to do our work now is more collaboration, more cooperation. But I think in the long term, data protection needs to be enforced on a global basis. So I can see eventually an international instrument with um, interoperable laws and commissioners and authorities that work together because data knows no borders. Uh, we're talking about global companies and we can't just keep looking at our own national laws and our, and our own processes for enforcement. So I can see I am the chair of the International Conference of Data Protection Commissioners and under my term, I'm going to make sure that we work towards an interoperable, cooperative future because I think that's what citizens expect of us. We have to have their back. Yeah, that makes it sound like there's an uneven playing field in many ways between privacy regulators and commissioners and enforcers on the one hand who face some of those bordered restrictions in a sense and technology and companies who see a, a playing field that is literally the entire world. That's, you know, that one approach to try to deal with that would obviously be some sort of global instruments. Do you feel that there is enough consensus today amongst different countries to, to get to that kind of position? I mean, the, the typical approach when people think about privacy laws is they've got, you've got European rules on the one hand, you've got the United States perhaps on the other, and then you've got a number of countries, perhaps Canada, in this mix that kind of share a little bit of both. Canada's a great bridge. I think between the US and, and Europe, but I think you could say the same for other Commonwealth countries. I think that it's going to take many years to work towards an international instrument, 
but we are working towards interoperability and more enforcement collaboration cooperation we do have more tools for that but for the first time we see serious conversations and debate south of the border in the u.s about a comprehensive federal privacy law maybe it's building on what's happening in california the other states that are passing strong laws but i also think because of the gdpr and the gold standard i suppose of data protection that's making a difference in brazil in argentina strengthening of laws in new zealand and australia so again i i think what we're seeing is we're seeing a sweep of law reform and we're seeing some commonality between the approaches it's going to be driven by citizens and consumers themselves because they'll start asking the questions how come there's data portability rights in europe where's the data portability rights in canada so i think i think citizens uh, around the world are going to start to demand the same kind of rights and and expect regulators to have their back so you feel we're headed towards a uh essential raising of the bar when it comes to privacy regulation. The world is going to come to Europe uh, in this regard and, and see the kinds of rules they have in place and, and say we ought to have the same kinds of things. I think citizens are going to want the same kind of coverage, the right to delete data of certain services, the right to port their data, take their contacts from one social media platform to another. So I think citizens are going to want some of those things. I'm not I'm not advocating for the details and the prescription of the GDPR to be translated into Canadian law, but I think some of the rights and some of the powers for regulators need to need to find um, an even playing field, a harmonized approach. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Thinking now about the, the investigation you're involved with now, it's being described as one of the biggest data protection, privacy investigations anywhere in in the world. In an era of big data and fake news, political leaders are changing, and so too the way they campaign. What you post on social media is being watched, being used, and what you see is crafted like never before. Do you feel that you've got the the strength, the kind of rules, GDPR and, and the sort of enforcement powers that you have enough to take on Perhaps not just even Facebook in this sense, but you're talking about sort of an entire sector in many respects, looking at so many of the the large Silicon Valley companies and looking at some of their practices. I think think the Cambridge Analytica Facebook investigation was really important, is really important around the world because people sat up and took notice. And it's one thing for these kinds of um, advertising models, this kind of profiling that we're used to, to sell us shoes and cars and holidays. And all of a sudden, the same kind of personalization is used to nudge us in elections. That's when people, I think, sat up and took notice. This investigation um, was possible for my office to undertake because of the strength of the law and also because of the new powers that were given to my office. Um, powers to audit algorithm, algorithms, powers to actually look under the hood, the ability to have streamlined warrants and digital freezing orders for evidence that's held in the cloud. All of these new powers are really important to be a fit for purpose digital regulator. 
also, um, the UK has the resources to be able to look at an entire really ecosystem of players that are, are using personal data in the context of elections. So data brokers, analytic companies, political parties, and social media platforms. So the, the size, the scope of this investigation and the fact that we were looking at companies in the US, Canada, and in Europe, um, I think that makes the point that we need an international approach to be able to solve these problems. It, it certainly does. And, you know, it, do the, do the jurisdiction, different jurisdictions pose a bit, still a barrier today? I mean, is it, is it easier to get the attention of, in a sense, a domestic or a European company when it comes to some of these investigations as, as opposed to someone, say, based in Canada, the United States, who wonders why they're even hearing from uh, the a UK enforcement agency? It's, um, it's, been a, it's been a challenge. And certainly in looking at some of the companies that were involved with Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, and the, the Brexit campaigns, we needed to reach across borders. We needed to gain the assistance and the cooperation of our Canadian federal colleagues as well as our British Columbia colleagues because that's where one of the companies was located, AIQ. So even though there still are some legal barriers, um, I think there's more collaboration and cooperation, and certainly more willingness to cooperate in this kind of international investigation. The GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, has extra territorial reach for European regulators, but companies are still getting their heads around what that means as our regulators. So this is a very it's a very new space, Michael. It's a you know it's a new time, but we are going to test our powers. I think everyone's going to be paying close attention to be sure. Uh, let me just wrap by by asking you one question about sort of the shift in a sense from talking about data privacy to data rights. And it's striking how much of what you've been talking about for the last few minutes is focused in a sense on data and how many different players are involved. Uh, Canada recently held a consultation on data governance, and it's an issue that is cropping up increasingly on a wide swath of issues, everything from federal government-related issues to smart cities, which is proven to be a highly banking. contentious to open banking, another source, another consultation we're seeing take place here. If you had any recommendations in terms of what does a national data strategy look like at a time when you've got government saying, on the one hand, we see this as valuable, we want to... Um, want to become a leader when it comes to a so-called data economy and at the same time you're examining some of the real risks in a sense that come from the prospect of an unregulated data space you know what what should we be thinking about or doing as the government seeks to pull that kind of strategy together comprehensive coverage for protection of personal data because right now it's piecemeal in canada as you know and in a federated system it's pretty complicated but with the federal government, if they want to ensure that people trust in the context of smart cities, in the context of open banking, in the context of greater use of personal data for government services, then people have to know that somebody has their back and that there's strong protection because you need trust. People won't go along unless they feel there's trust in the system. The other thing is Canada has going for it is a real focus on data governance and accountability. 
which is a backbone of the federal private sector privacy law. And that's something that actually the Europeans borrowed from Canada. So I think an accountability data governance approach is, is the way forward, but it's time to modernize the laws. Okay, well, that's a great message to end on. And uh, one that, as you know, has been much talked about for a long time. It's been hard to, at times to find the political will, or at least the prioritization of these issues. But if the experience you've had of over the last number of months and years is any indication, it's clear that the public is, is ready for this, really yearning for it. And um, I think we're going to watch with interest to see how your particular investigation comes out and more and more people asking if these issues are happening in Canada, are we in a position to actually go ahead and deal with it? Yeah. Innovation and data protection just go hand in hand. And um, one is integral to the other. So that's, that's the message. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thanks to Commissioner Elizabeth Denham for joining me on the podcast this week. Commissioner Denham was in Ottawa to deliver the 12th annual Deirdre Martin Memorial Lecture on Privacy at the University of Ottawa. You can catch her full lecture at the Center for Law, Technology, and Society website at techlaw.uottawa.ca. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. That's L-A-W-B-Y-T-E-S at P-O-Box.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or follow Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe at iTunes, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.